We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. Listen, I'm sure by now you have recognized that this is not Jenna Ellis. Um, I'm your guest host today, John Amanchuku, standing in for the one and only Jenna Ellis. And we have a dynamic and power-packed a show prepared for you today. I'll be bringing on a special guest in the second segment. His name is Bishop Patrick Lane Wooden Sr., and you want to stick around to hear from him. I've come on with Jenna Ellis before on her show, and I've shared some things with you pertaining to where we are as a culture in public education. I'm concerned about public education. I'm concerned about what our children are being taught. I'm concerned about those individuals who have special interests. There was a time where you sent your child to school and you could trust the educational outlook and the focus that the teacher would bring to the classroom. There was a time where you could trust the curriculum. You could trust the standards. You could trust the guidance counselor, the principal. You could trust even the guests that they brought in to teach and communicate to your children. But today we're in a different place where this trust must be meted out with wisdom. I ask all parents who are listening and even grandparents to get involved with your child's education, whether they are in a public school or even a charter school or a private school. You want to know what is being taught at all times. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one, opens up with something that is near and dear to my heart because it gets to where we are as a society. Oftentimes we ask the questions of, Why is America going down a slippery slope? And what's going on with the Christian church? Why have we we become so feeble, timid, and weak? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, begins to unravel this question of why. Why this and why that? It reads, This know also, that in the last days, Dangerous times shall come. The King James Version says perilous times. And these dangerous times, these perilous times, speak of things that would take place that would be dangerous 
It says that this time frame will also be unsafe and it will be risky. That's the truth. We all know that we are living through that today. When you consider states like California, where there are constant smashing grabs, every time you turn on social media, some elderly person is being accosted or robbed. Uh, we see the um, evil, evil outcomes of hip hop music and the rock music and the genres that are pushed upon our up and coming generation, our children. You see the debaucherous lifestyle that is propped up by many people. These things are concerning, but they're also dangerous. Verse 2 tells us, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. This is the first thing that Paul keys in on as he addresses this issue of dangerous times. Men will be lovers of their own selves. They will love themselves so much that the only thing that matters to them is what they want, when they want it, and how much they want. Lovers of their own selves, not simply lovers of God, lovers of mankind, lovers of humanity, not even lovers of truth or righteousness, lovers of self. And so when there is this heavy influence upon one to drive his heart towards his or her heart towards self-love, there are oftentimes casualties. People are left hurt and ruined because this individual is just simply focused on self-love. Then Paul goes on to say that people would be covetous. We see that today. Boasters, proud. You know, we have a month set aside called June. June is today what we call Pride Month. A month set aside to celebrate sexual deviancy. We're proud about it. Americans are proud about it. We even see today that the Christian church is even proud about it. But God is not proud. Paul also goes on to say that people will become blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. They'll make a, they will make a deal with you, not with the intent of following through on what they agreed upon. They'll shake your hand and look you in the eye and say yes or no to this but they'll go and do something differently. He also says that there will be false accusers. Now, this term, false accusers, in the Greek gives us the word diabolos, which means serpent. And so wherever there is a false accusation, there is the spirit of Satan at work. And then it says that people will lack self-control and they'll be fierce, despisers of those that are good. Verse four, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. If you've been wondering what's going on in this wacky, wacky world, Paul now has made it clear to you. The word of God has exposed his truth. We see that these things are taking place because we're living in end times 
And these end times are depicted as dangerous times, risky times, unsafe times. And if there's any place that I've started to see that's very unsafe, it's what's taking place at many of our public schools. I traveled the country speaking out against critical race theory, gender theory, queer theory, um, the indoctrination of children in the public school system. Some call this grooming, some call it indoctrination, but I also like to call it mental rape. I call it mental rape because I believe that pornographic books books that are sexually explicit, whether the books talk about heterosexual sex or even homosexual sex, I like to call that mental rape because it stains the brain, it assaults the soul, and it robs children of their innocence. Why are we now today pushing pornographic material upon kids? I've traveled the country Addressing these issues, doing the best that I can, trying to bring awareness to this great unjust issue that many have overlooked. I've amassed over 180 million views doing so. And you know, when you do the work of the Lord, people are going to fight against you. They are going to resist you and they're going to find ways to try to smear you. I have now been labeled as a white supremacist. And I'm a black man. My father is from Nigeria. My mother was born in the States. She's black. And so I'm an African-American, a true African-American. But there are people today who label me as a white supremacist. And so I'm trying to get used to <laughs> being a white man. And I hope I'm doing a good job. One of the hardest things there is to be, I found out, is to be a white man <laughs> in America. Not only am I a white supremacist now, I've been told that I'm a coon. I'm an Uncle Tom. I am tap dancing for the white devil. I have people who tell me that my wife has to be white because the only way for a black man to believe the things that I believe is that I have to be married to a white woman. How condescending is that towards black women and towards the black community? The things that I say have nothing to do with pigmentation. They have nothing to do with skin tone. My values don't have a skin tone. I say and parrot what the Bible says. I'm a Bible man. I've been taught the Bible by one of God's most faithful teachers, one of God's most faithful expository preachers of this era, Bishop Patrick Lane Wooden Sr., who will come on with us in our next segment. And he taught me as a college student that we should have this thing called a biblical worldview, and that we should see the world through the lenses of the scripture. This is what has compelled me to be a Christian conservative, because as I read the word of God and I take God's truth into the marketplace, even into the voting booth, I'm compelled to cast the vote that mimics scripture. I'm compelled to support politicians who come close to the biblical authority of God's word. No, 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 politicians aren't perfect. 
There isn't one perfect party. But there is a party in this country that's pushing gender theory and queer theory upon our kids. They seek to allow transgenders to come into the classroom and read to our kindergarten students. I don't know about you, but I am vehemently against that. The same party supports abortion on demand. They want to kill a baby even after the baby has been born. This is infanticide. It's evil. It's corrupt. We all know that life begins at conception. But there are some who will seek to find ways to turn God's truth upside down. But Paul was charged with turning the world upside down. But that's not what he was really doing. He was turning the world right side up. I went to Florida recently and spoke at a school board meeting. 52 people signed up to speak, but only one person had their paperwork missing, yours truly. They hid my paperwork. They did not want me to speak because my reputation precedes me. They knew what was going to take place if they allowed me to get behind that podium that eyes would be open, ears would be open, and that the message more than likely would go viral. So they hid my paperwork and I had to get in contact with one of the board members to get my name back on the docket to speak. I got up to speak and I read from a book entitled 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher. That book is currently in Storm Grove Middle School and Freshman Learning Center. I was speaking at the Indian River County School Board meeting in Vero Beach, Florida. This book is very, very pornographic. I can't even read now to you the things that are in this book, but this book is all around the country. I read from that book and the school board chairman cut me off and I tried to continue to read and she cut me off again and she cut me off again. And then she told someone to grab my microphone and when I still kept trying to read from the book that our kids have access to, she called for the sheriffs to remove me. So four sheriffs came and one grabbed me by the arm and they walked me out all because I spoke against what they were doing in the public school system there. Listen, these are dangerous times. These are perilous times. There are people who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There are people who are working in the public school system in America who have special interests. They fight against what's normative. They fight against truth. They even try to convince our children that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. We must stand against these things. But I'm glad to report that we were able to overturn that school board and all of the books that we addressed on that day have been removed. That's a triumph. I'm coming back with the next segment. I'll bring on my guest, Mr. Patrick Lane Woodinson. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Hello, it's your guest. John Amanjupu standing in for the one and only Jenna Ellis. In the first segment, I told you that I was bringing on a special, special, special guest. And this gentleman 
is near and dear to my heart. Not simply because I joined his church at the age of 19. I'm 39 now, so I've been in this church for 20 years. Not just because of that. Not simply because when I was in college, he showed me no little kindness. He would bring me over to his home on Sundays. And I tell you what, his beautiful wife, First Lady Pamela Wooden, would make the best fried chicken that you could ever imagine. This man is special to me for many reasons. Um, he's my father in the gospel. He has taught me the ways of God, but he's also my father in law. And I've had the great opportunity to glean from him and to learn from him. I'm speaking of none other than Bishop Patrick Lane Wooden Sr. Bishop Wooden, thank you so much for coming on the Jenna Ellis Show. John, it's an honor to have me on the Jenna Ellis Show, and it's an honor, sir, to uh, be on with you. Uh, I thank you for those kind words, but I want to say to the listeners, I could not have ordered out of out of the mail. I couldn't have uh, filled out an application and got um, a better son-in-law, a godly man, a family man. You love Jesus Christ, and you were quite easy, uh, sir, to lead because you know there's a saying that says, "When the student is ready, the teacher will appear." And uh, you came to the ministry hungry for the things of God, and you came for the right reasons and looking for the right things. And I'm glad that among those things uh, you discovered was a precious young lady that I'd known all her life. And I, I told her, if you live right and trust God, the Lord will bless you with the ideal kind of man who would love her, treat her right, and would be a great dad and leader. And uh, I guess she even calls me a prophet now because you brought my words to pass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is, that, that is so true. As you're talking, I'm just reminiscing about all the wonderful times that we've, we've spent together as, as a family. Me as a young man coming to the church at the age of 19, yes, having sir. you as a father-in-law, you know, my trajectory has greatly increased because I had yes. the right kind of leader, the right kind oh, of mother-in-law. And so we are excelling simply because we're st standing on your shoulders. I want to oh, get into... Yes, sir. Thank you. I want to get into... Your conversion story. I know you personally. I've heard your conversion story. But I want you to share that with the listeners. Uh, what age were you when you gave your life to Christ? And how did things change for you as a result thereof? I was uh, 16 years old. And uh, it's amazing that at the age of 16, I had many philosophical questions that I didn't know were philosophical at the time. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What is this all about? What is life about? Uh, what is this for? And I had no idea that a little church that I would pass uh, on my way home from school on times when I missed the bus, I would walk on the way home past this little church that was always closed, and that's, that's because it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I never knew that that building, the upper, the, the temple, excuse me, Church of God in Christ, would be the place where I would end up meeting my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And my mom told me and my brothers and me that uh, she had met a man 
who was a preacher, who would play basketball with us, who would play football with us, who would wrestle with us, and that was an anomaly. I'd never heard of a preacher doing those those things. Plus, I was raised by a single-parent mom, and we didn't have a dad there in the house. And to hear about this kind of man, uh, it caught my attention. And I ended up going to the church with mom one Sunday and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached under the power uh, of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God. And it was unlike anything that I'd, I'd heard before. And, uh, you know, I noticed, John, that there were a lot of pretty ladies on the choir. So I had already kind of decided that I was going to come back to the service just to try to check them out. And all, but as I listened to the sermon, I realized that I needed Jesus Christ. And uh, in those days, uh, and it's, you know, it happens now. I don't know if the audience is familiar with what we call prayer lines, when people stand to get prayer, and each person wait their turn, and the preacher personally ministers to them and lay hands on them and pray for them. I had purpose in my heart that when the minister laid hands on me, that I was not going to uh, fall out. I wasn't going to collapse. I, w I wasn't going to participate. I mean, you wonder why I was standing there in line. But the conviction was so heavy that when I got up to leave the church, I ended up uh, turning toward the altar, and there I stood. And when the man of God, when it was my turn, I'm face-to-face -face with the man who would become my pastor and mentor uh, at the age of 16. He looks at me and says, young man, the Lord told me not to even touch you, not to lay hands on you. But the Lord told me to have you to get on the altar and seek the Lord for yourself. Now, I hadn't planned on that one. I had already, I had my defenses up. I wasn't going to participate. I was not going to be moved. But now I'm on, I'm on the altar, and I got to talk to the Lord for myself. And I said to Jesus that day, I, I remember it, John, like it was yesterday. I said, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And uh, I didn't mean it, and nothing happened. I said it again. I didn't mean it, and nothing happened. Then I, I heard what I came to know was the Holy Spirit say to me, ask me and mean it. And I said to the Lord, I said, save me, Jesus. And I meant it that time. And, brother, I felt something as though it was a, a sledgehammer hitting uh, concrete. It began to break up in my heart. I got up and I tried to get away from this overwhelming power. And uh, I played football, and I was on the wrestling team, um, and I understood uh, pressure points, wrestling, grabbing the wrist and all that. And as I tried to go back to my seat, I felt someone grab my right wrist. I'll never forget it. And, uh, and my eyes were closed. And uh, so I'm thinking, now, these people can't make me become a Christian. And whoever this is grabbing my arm, trying to pull me around, I'm going to jerk away. So I opened my eyes and looked to see who it was. The pastor was praying for someone else. The people was praising the Lord. And there stood an old uh, 80-year-old, about uh, four foot uh, nine, I would guess, church mother standing with her hands cuffed, praying for me. And I heard uh, as clearly as I can hear you today, a voice from heaven speak to me and say, I am the Lord thy God, and you cannot get away from me. 
at that point, John, I just I just began to cry and to weep and gave my heart to Jesus. And uh, in our tradition, you know, in the in black community, we tend to sing songs and says, I looked at my hands and my hands looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. I started to walk in yes, sir. and I had a brand new walk. And I'll tell you, that happened to me, man. <laughs> so the sky was bluer and everything. And this, you know what? Maybe the hands didn't change. Maybe the sky didn't change. Maybe the, none of those things that I saw changed. But what happened was a change had taken place in me. I'd been born again. That was uh, the greatest day of my life. And I think the only day that's going to top that day is when Jesus comes back to get me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard the conversion story of Bishop Patrick Lane <laughs> Wooden Sr. You know, there is something that you keyed in on in your conversion story. You mentioned that you reluctantly went to the altar and yes, the Spirit of God turned you towards the altar. Um, in Ezekiel 8, 16, we see a scenario where things are quite different. It reads, then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple at the entrance to the sanctuary. Between the entry room and the bronze altar, there were about 25 men, not with their backs, not with their face towards the altar, but with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. Yes, they sir. were facing east, bowing low to the ground worshiping the sun. Now oh, that God. that stands out to me. I mean it just it, yes. it came alive as you were talking about your story. Your face was toward the altar. This yes, text sir. mentions 25 men who had their backs to the altar. You've been pastoring for now 41 or 42 years. Am I correct? Yes sir. Collectively, between the Upper Room Church of God in Christ and the Lighthouse Church of God in Christ that we founded. Yes, sir. Yes. And so what this text points out is that our posture and position in worship is significant to God. And it oftentimes is a clear depiction of where we stand with God. I believe that we are seeing the body of Christ implode because we have leaders and pastors and preachers who are not turned towards the altar, but their back is against God and they are supporting things that God does not ordain. Can you Amen. speak to this slippery slope that the body of Christ is on because of failed leadership amongst pastors? Yes, sir. I, I'll be honest with you, John. And in, in, in going to this particular passage, man, you, you, my eyes welled up with tears because, you know, you, uh, uh, going from the, my conversion story to this powerful, powerful passage, uh, it, it breaks your heart because you, ca you can't meet the God of the Bible and, and your relationship with him not be personal and and when you when you read about things going on in the house of the Lord that ought not to be um, one of the one of the, one of the evidences that you know the Lord is that uh, 
it disturbs you. There is still a place, sir, for righteous indignation. And one of the most disturbing things that are going on, in my opinion, in the body of Christ today, and it was predicted by uh, the Lord Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul. He talks about the falling away that would take place, uh, is doctrinal impurity. It is as though many uh, pastors and leaders today, spiritual leaders, uh, are going about to establish their own doctrine. It's as though these guys have uh, uh, have become bored with the Bible and uh, have gotten drunk on their own reputations and their own power and authority, and they actually lead and feel, uh, they lead as though they feel they can do anything and God be pleased with it. And um, they many, many tout um, their authority to do so because they may be financially wealthy, they may have a large congregation, they may have a huge following. Uh, uh, many of them live in a bubble where everyone tells them what they want to hear. And the result of it is we see a watered-down church that is filled with spiritual uh, adultery. Where we used to, there was a time when we were loyal to the Lord, and and what what we believed mattered just as much as the fact that we believed. I actually think that what you believe matters more than the fact that you believe. Because if you believe and you're sincere, but if you sincerely believe the wrong things, then you you're still in trouble with God. So it is a troubling uh, uh, development in the kingdom of God as we see uh, doctrinal impurity and things being brought into the church that has no place in the church. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 1 and verse 21 says, how is it that the faithful city become a harlot? It was mm-hmm. full of judgment Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers, and thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes, the leaders, are rebellious, and thy companions and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts. Everybody's in it for what they can get out of it. Everyone's on the take and followeth after reward. They judge not the fatherless. They're not fair to the disadvantaged. Neither do the cause of the widow come unto them. And we're seeing this, uh, sir, today, and uh, you do it. And one of the reasons I'm so proud of how the Lord is using you and, and what we try to do at the Upper Room Church of God in Christ is that even in, in fighting the good fight of faith, standing as we stand, contending with areas both religious and political, we try our best to do these things with a thus saith the Lord. And if God, where God doesn't speak, then we don't speak. And where the Bible, if the Bible doesn't give us permission to do a thing, then uh, we do our best to stay away from that thing because now we're rebellious. And I don't think disobedience is ever a solution to any social ill nor spiritual ill. For the pastors who are listening today, it is my sincere prayer that you contend, sir, uh, leaders, for doctrinal purity. Jude said we've got to contend for the faith which was once and for all 
delivered unto the saints. Because evil men have crept in, and they're bringing all kinds of things in. So, yes, sir, it is quite disturbing, and I think that we need to fight for it. And the last thing, Paul said... Um, that the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last days some shall depart from the faith, and listen to this, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. He wasn't saying that the days would come when, when some would stop having faith, but depart from the faith, our doctrine, the Bible, what we believe. And I'm not talking, sir, about about uh, denominational pure doctrine. I'm talking about the doctrine of biblical Christianity. This is so good. Thank you so much. I'm on with my special guest, Bishop Patrick Lane Wooden Sr. Don't go away. We'll be right back. According to a recent study of hundreds of post-abortive women, 60% of women reported that they would have preferred to give birth if they had received more support from others or had more financial security. And that's where Preborn steps in. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between the life and death of their precious child. You see, the reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision and are being told that their babies are just clumps of cells. Preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance at life. When you support Preborn, you are not only supporting women, you empower them. Your donation of $28 will help a woman make a choice that she won't have to regret for the rest of her life and gives her the ultimate blessing, life. Your love can save a life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I'm your guest host, John Amintutu. I'm on with my special guest, Bishop Patrick Lane Wooded Sr., the pastor of the Upper Room Church of God in Christ in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're having a wonderful conversation this morning talking about his convergence story and the role of pastors. Bishop Wooden, there are many pressing issues today. We have the abortion issue. We have the topics of gender theory and queer theory, which are being pushed in the public school system. Um, there are many people who are pushing us towards a more postmodern approach to biblical authority. There's so many things that we're wrestling with and that we're contending with. We even know that we're coming towards the next election. We all know what that means. There are going to be a lot of people out there trying to convince people to vote for this candidate or that candidate, support this party, support that party. Uh, Bishop Wooden, what is the role of the Christian preacher in addressing cultural issues and politics? Thank you for that question. Uh, first of all, the, the, I think that the role of the Christian minister is to first and foremost know that he has a role. The Bible teaches that we are to cry aloud, to spare not, to lift up our voice like a trumpet in Zion, to show 
my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. The, the minister is the voice of God for everything that's going on in society, including, including the affairs of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, when you read the Old Testament and you read the, the, the preachings of the prophets, the prophets spoke uh, truth to power. They, they spoke to kings, they spoke to princes, and they dealt with all of the prevailing issues of their era and of their time. None of the prophets ignored the 800-pound gorilla in the living room, as so many Christian ministers do today. I find that many times that there's a lot of hypocrisy that's going on in the in the in the body of Christ because some of the very ministers who say that who proclaim that they do not want politics in their church, they don't want politics in their pulpit, that they don't bring up politics at all, are actually truly saying they don't want uh, conservative politics. Uh, because you go to some of the churches and you hear, especially in our tradition, uh, you hear many of uh, the preachers uh, uh, espouse much uh, much of what we call the, the liberal aspects of it and, and will preach about it from the pulpit. Uh, they never get a visit from the government. The government never uh, checks them that, that I know of. Uh, for what they've said. I've personally been visited uh, by the Internal Revenue Service uh, for a statement that I made that I thought was quite true, but they said that it was political. So the minister has to speak up. The, 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 the litany of sins and, and, and moral decay that you just mentioned, how can a preacher be worth his salt? How can a church be both salt and light and ignore these issues? I think in the theological uh, world, it's called um, uh, abandonment theology, where we just decide that we live in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we do not speak to the world. And you can't do that. You can't do that. We're told by Jesus to occupy until he comes. We're, we're called to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and we have no choice but to speak up and to, and to speak out often. Now, I don't believe that any minister should tell people who to vote for. Uh, I think that that's uh, an individual's choice. But I do think that it is well within our rights, uh, free speech rights, freedom of religion, to to deal with issues. I hold this to be true, sir, and uh, if, I, if I go on too long, please interrupt me. But we're in, in a time where I don't think that it is the church uh, stepping uh, into the territory of the politician. I don't think that that's what's going on in society at all. I think it's just the, just the opposite is true. The politician and politics and these political parties have encroached upon the domain of the church. Marriage was God's domain. The God of the Bible created the institution of marriage, yet political people have redefined it. Uh, the, the Bible tells us that God made them male and God made them female. That's it. 
Now we're in a day where uh, there are those uh, in, in some political circles who believe that there are multiple genders, multiple sexes, and, and, and that a man can actually change his sex and change his gender, and that they should be, uh, that people should be affirmed if they do that, and that's the right thing. The God of the Bible is the author of life. God breathed into man's nostrils, and, and, uh, and man became a living soul, and yet here we are. Uh, there are people who bemoaned the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I, even people in religious circles who thought that that was uh, a bad thing. Twenty million plus blacks are missing as a result of uh, Roe v. Wade. Over 63, 64 million Americans who should be here are missing as a result of Roe v. Wade. And uh, and what we hear uh, uh, politicians and, and pundits talk about is a woman's right to choose. Now, you know it's wicked because they don't even finish the sentence. Choose what? <laughs> they know if they finish the sentence, the argument won't won't fly. So, so a you minister, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yes, this is this is good. I like the direction that yes, we're sir. headed headed in. Yes, sir. Um, when we consider the last election, Raphael Warnock in particular, yes, sir, a, a man that who said that he was a pro-choice Christian and a pro-choice pastor. Mm-hmm. Sounds like, and I know this to be true, you disagree with that wholeheartedly, but you all um, preach from the same Bible. You read the same book. How is it that we're seeing so many pastors take a liberal stance on things that the Bible explicitly says? Are we not reading from the same book or our hearts and minds darkened because they don't want to support biblical truth. I actually believe, uh, John, that we're not reading from the same book anymore. I think that these guys, carry, we, we all carry the same book. We all <laughs> look at the same book. But in terms of there reading is a and seeking the Lord and, and, and preaching what this book says, there is no way you can read this book and then call yourself a pro-choice pastor. There's no way you can read the Bible and and uh, and and be pro-choice anything or pro-same-sex marriage or pro-homosexual rights. I actually believe that there are people today who are more loyal to their political parties party than they are to the God of the Bible. You know what? They stop, stop right there. You just, yes, sir. You just, you just said something that was very poignant. There are people today who are pastors yes, and Christians who are more beholden and more faithful to their political party rather than their Christian faith. I say it this yes, way, sir. that many have uh, relinquished the cross and they grab have grabbed hold to the donkey or the elephant. Yes. And yes. You are touching and keying in on something that I think is transformative for this audience. Why is it significant that we hold to God's truth, you know, and God's truth endures to all generations? Yes, sir. God is not old folk. He is not outdated. It does not change. We are closed canon preachers. Yes. Why is it significant that a person 
attends a church where they have an expository preacher where they can learn the Bible and that they become Berean as well and go home and study the scriptures to know the word for themselves. Why is this so important in a day like today? Well, first and foremost, it's, it's important because we all have souls. And I think one of the things that have escaped this uh, discussion is we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And there's only two places where we can spend eternity, either with Jesus Christ and in heaven and enjoying the joys of the Lord forever or going to hell to burn forever. There's a whole lot that is at stake. John, we're not talking about playing games now. We're talking about playing for keeps. Uh, when we read the whole Bible, we find out that uh, we're all living to live again. And what will matter most is is how we or should I say whether we follow God's truth or, or not. So I hope the people realize that the stakes are high. You have a soul, um, and uh, and your soul is at stake. Plus, we see that these these doctrines, these 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 liberal ideologies, we see what they're doing to big cities. We see what they're doing to crime. We see what they've done, how they've decimated uh, the black community. We see what has happened to the to the home. Seventy, seventy two, seventy three percent of our our homes in the African American community are without dads. Much of this has to do with uh, liberal policies where the government is paying our young ladies uh, to not get married. And, and so when man comes up with policies and procedures and uh, things that conflict with God, we pay a dear price for it. So when the preacher or the minister or the church leader, uh, the community leader, uh, becomes more faithful uh, to these things, the Word of God, the result is catastrophic. The Reverend Jesse Jackson, if, uh, uh, if, if, if you study his, his life, we had no greater voice for, for the pro-life ministry in America than that man. Uh, if you go back and read his arguments in the 70s, uh, John, and you're well familiar with them, they were prolific. And uh, I don't think anyone has made arguments quite as good as, and as passionate even until now. And we fight uh, the fight all the time. And yet he changed in the 80s when running for the office of the presidency. He changed and he went, he went from preaching for life to standing against life. And look at what, what the devastating effect has been. So uh, I, I, I want to say to the preachers, uh, it matters. And I think whether you are liberal or conservative, it does not matter. The Christian's job is first and foremost to be loyal to Jesus Christ. We've got to be more loyal to Christ than to our complexion. We have to be more loyal to Christ than our nation. We have to be more loyal to Christ than any political party or any uh, competing ideology uh, that's out there. And there are many competing ideologies. So the preacher uh, his voice needs to be heard, and uh, he needs to speak up because these are these are drastic times. This is good. This is good. Second Timothy three twelve says, "Yea, and all who will live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." I'm yes, starting to notice that more and more Christians in the marketplace are starting to self censor themselves. 
Yes. They are becoming mute and silent. They're going along to get along because they don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. They're they're even concerned, Bishop Wooden, about you know diversity, equity, and inclusion, and not saying something that would get them in trouble, canceled, deplatformed, or fired. Moving from speaking to the preachers now to the everyday Christian, those who even may be a new convert, what is your what is your message to them as they encounter a world that hates Christ? Well, my message is simply this: Buckle up, Buttercup, because <laughs> times are about to get a little tough. And God has given the American Christian a wonderful run. I mean, man, we've we've gotten we've been blessed, we've been spoiled, we've had the best homes, the biggest cars, you know, nicest lifestyles, and, and thank God for the blessings of this great country. But now, the same gospel that has called us to enjoy these things is now bringing about persecution, not because the gospel has changed, but because society has become weak and wicked, and the Bible predicted that these times would come. So the, 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 the church needs to toughen up. That everyday believer, that, praise God, needs to toughen up and, and realize that uh, there is such a thing as the offense of the gospel. And we're, uh, if the gospel is not simply right when it's bringing good things our way and healing our bodies and causing our kids to go to college and good things are happening, and we just love the Lord. The gospel is right even when it brings persecution our way. We're not a special group of Christians. Christians have been persecuted and prosecuted uh, ever since this movement has been in the earth. It was called The Way, and it's our turn, and we're going to have to just uh, look to the Lord. And one thing about looking to the God of the Bible is that he's a deliverer, he's a healer, and he's coming again. So we're living to live again. (laughs) Yes, sir. You know what? We've come down to the end of this segment. (laughs) I'm thankful to have my special guest on today, Bishop Patrick Lane Wooden Sr. You can go and follow his YouTube page at God First official page. He's the senior pastor of the Upper Room Church of God in Christ. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.